This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. As we all navigate this pandemic, COVID-19, remember, Fox Sports Radio keeps humming along. I think this all makes sense. We're constantly updating our podcast with new content every day. We're all over Twitter like never before. And you can always hear us on iHeartRadio or FoxSportsRadio.com. Who else has that? Nobody. Nobody. We're everywhere you want us to be. No, no matter, matter what. what. Come on, who's with me? We are Sports Hub Triad. They're delicious. <laughs> You're on the drive with Josh Graham. Proceed slowly and with caution on WSJS Sports. So glad to have you with us on a Friday drive. Does it really feel like a Friday, though? With all these late OT games, my schedule gets thrown off, my routine's all out of whack. But just as Jacob Slavin and Sebastian Ajo were punching the Canes tickets to the second round in OT... The Phoenix Suns went down 2-1 to one to the Los Angeles Lakers. And it's become pretty clear that Chris Paul is not even close to 100%. I wouldn't even say he's 75%. And if he's not right, the Suns have no shot at winning this series. And it's a bummer because I'd say there's no triad athlete that's more beloved than Chris. There's nobody in that sport I want to see win a title more than Chris. This series is going to go down as just another cruel chapter in what I believe's been the most unlucky career in NBA history. This isn't just recency bias. Chris Paul's bad luck goes all the way back to when he came out of Wake Forest to enter to declare for the 2005 draft. He was taken with the number four pick by New Orleans. Two months later, Hurricane Katrina hits the city of New Orleans. He has to move, along with his teammates, to Oklahoma City. They played a season of basketball there, completely displaced. It was an organization and a city in shambles, and by the time he left, he led them to a playoff series win a few years later. 2011, traded to the Los Angeles Lakers. He's going to be paired with Kobe Bryant, and he's going to win multiple titles wearing Lakers gold. Well, unfortunately, the team at that time was owned by the league and David Stern nixed the trade. So CP3 wasn't going to go to LA, or at least he wasn't going to go to that LA team. Months later, he was traded again, traded to Los Angeles, but of course to the Clippers. But at least he was being paired with a couple budding superstars. You've got Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. This is an example of bad luck because if those types of players, those skill sets were together in 2001 rather than 2011, you're a title contender for the next decade. Just a couple years before that, Dwight Howard is leading a team to the finals Everybody wanted to build around a center at that time. But when CP3 gets paired with Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, the NBA was shifting. Steph Curry was just getting things off the ground with Klay Thompson, with Mark Jackson and company with Golden State. The NBA was changing before our eyes. Analytics had already affected baseball. It was infiltrating basketball as well. 
and the game was shifting back towards the three-point line. Blake Griffin, not a shooter. Neither was DeAndre Jordan. Never became a shooter, DeAndre. So CP3 had bad timing showing up with that kind of team in 2011. Not to mention, it's the Clippers. Look at the type of situation the Clippers are in right now. They gave up all those draft picks to bring in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and just because they're the Clippers, they never got a packed playoff crowd at Staples Center to root them on with those guys in their on their roster. Last year with the bubble, they didn't get that opportunity. This year, they're down two games to nothing to Dallas, now going on the road, and if they fall behind 3-0, well, they're not going to come back from that, and Kawhi Leonard can leave as early as this year. The Clippers are one of the most dysfunctional franchises, and when Chris arrived, they were at peak dysfunctional. It was a couple years before the Donald Sterling controversy began, which led to him being ousted and replaced by Steve Ballmer. So he was never going to win there. An example of bad luck. Then you get to the postseason problems. That's what's going to define Chris's career, unfortunately. When you're one of the best players in the sport, we get to a point where no one cares about the numbers if they don't come with team success. Getting to the NBA Finals, winning titles. I'm not going to define Chris by the postseason failures alone because I believe those postseason failures have been defined by injuries. 2015, the high point of Chris's career, in my opinion, at least in the NBA. He hit the game-winning shot to beat the San Antonio Spurs in a first-round series, and he did so while playing with a bad hammy. A hammy that was so bad, he missed the first two games of the next series, and when he returned, he still played unbelievable. 26-10 and 10 that entire series, but it wasn't enough to come back. They lost in that series. He had 26 and 10, averaging that entire series. They lost in 2015, 2016. Another situation where you're talking about a good team with promise and bad luck costing the Clippers on the same day Blake Griffin got hurt, not to play the rest of that playoff run. Chris Paul broke his hand. No Chris, no Blake, no shot. 2018, now he's with the Houston Rockets. You probably know where I'm headed here. He was the most important player in a Game 5 win with the series tied two games apiece against Kevin Durant and the Warriors. This is the Western Conference Finals. Houston goes up three games to two. The problem, in the final few minutes of the game, Chris gets hurt. It's the hamstring again. He can't play in Game 6 or 7. Houston loses both of those games. So he doesn't get his chance to win a title or to even go to the NBA Finals. In the last two seasons, he's sent to Oklahoma City. They're wanting to tank. Not a great place to have your prime years spent or the back end of your prime years. He still takes that team to the playoffs. He's not going to get points for that, though. Phoenix hasn't been to the playoffs in a dozen years. He makes them the number two seed in the Western Conference. And because Chris Paul has had the most unlucky NBA career of all time, when he does that, gets Phoenix back to the playoffs for the first time since the late 2000s, the Lakers are the opponent. 
the best seven seed in NBA history is waiting for Chris Paul in Phoenix. LeBron James, the defending champs, Anthony Davis, they have the two best players on the floor. <laughs> Brutal luck. And on top of that, to compound that bad luck, Chris gets hurt in game one and he hasn't looked the same since. There's no player I want to win a title more. Tough luck. Somebody said this recently. I forget who. I want to give them credit. But I really like the line. Sometimes the greatest winners don't win. Sometimes that happens in sports. Sometimes the greatest winners don't win. And I believe Chris Paul to be a prime example of that. Shifting things to ACC football. One of my favorite events of the summer is the ACC kickoff event. I was talking with some of the folks who are organizing this in the triad with the Atlantic Coast Conference. In Charlotte, every year, you have the media converging with the coaches, and we get a chance to interact with everybody across the league and meet many of the players as well. It's a great event. The coaches enjoy it. The players enjoy it. It's a laid-back setting. And it's good for us, especially on radio. We do a couple of shows out there from the Westin in Charlotte. Last year, they didn't have it because of COVID. This year, they're going to have it after the one-year hiatus. We look forward to that in a couple of months. And one of the things we're tasked of doing at this event every year is voting for the preseason all-conference teams, voting for the order of finish for the Atlantic and Coastal Divisions, picking the ACC championship matchup, and picking who's going to win the ACC that year. It's been pretty easy over the last five or six years. Pick Clemson and you're probably going to be right. And that's not going to change this year. Clemson might be the unanimous ACC champion. Actually, I think there's enough Carolina fans in the media, air quote, that might pick the Tar Heels to upset Clemson in the title game to offset that number a bit. But on that similar note, I feel pretty comfortable saying today North Carolina is going to be the preseason pick to win the Coastal Division, to face Clemson in the ACC title game. I'm skeptical of that, though. I've been looking at schedules, combing over things with my colleagues Brian Geisinger and Jason Kong from accsports.com. I've looked at every ACC schedule over the last couple of weeks, broken down pretty much every roster trying to figure out how things are going to shake out. Hopefully we got good magazine news to tell you about that we could put out before the start of the season. Stuff for the website, certainly. But after breaking it all down, I don't think I'm on that North Carolina going to win the coastal train. In fact, I'll say it right here today. I don't think North Carolina is going to get to the ACC championship game. If I've learned anything covering this league for the last decade, pretty much, the Coastal is going to Coastal. The media at this ACC kickoff event has correctly picked the Coastal champ three times in the last decade. Last year being an exception, there were no divisions, so really removing last year, it's the previous 10 seasons. The media has only picked the correct champ for the Coastal three times. In the last 10 years, North Carolina will no doubt be the ACC preseason coastal champ. 
I have concerns with the Tar Heel schedule. The day the schedule was released for the entire league, we focused on the teams here in the state of North Carolina. Wake Forest, NC State, North Carolina, Duke. And the thing that jumped out at me immediately is still the thing I can't get past today. Boy, that's a big game to open up for the Tar Heels. North Carolina is playing Virginia Tech, 6 o'clock, the first Friday night of the year. All this hype that North Carolina has attached to them hinges on that first game in Blacksburg. It's going to be a legit road environment. It's going to be tough for anybody to play in there. I don't know how North Carolina is going to respond to that. So if they lose that game, I think all the air comes out of the balloon. If they win, okay. Well, then we kick that down the line. We kick the can down the line to see where they're, where the other trouble spots are on the schedule. Namely, the back half of it. In the middle of October to the middle of November, here's a stretch of five consecutive games for the Tar Heels. Florida State, Miami, Notre Dame, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh. I'll say that again. Florida State, Miami, Notre Dame, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh. All in a row. Physical teams. Talented teams. Teams that will be physical with you and maybe even break you down at the time where you might be most susceptible to attrition. Florida State, with the talent they recruit in Tallahassee. Miami, the same way. The Irish, we saw it the day after Thanksgiving a year ago. Wake Forest has always been a tough opponent for the Tar Heels in Pittsburgh. Pat Narduzzi, a great defensive coach. Then, to close the regular season, don't overlook NC State. We talked about this yesterday. NC State could be a top three team in the league. Everything I hear about the Tar Heels and what they're bringing back and what makes Tar Heel fans excited, the same reason NC State fans are excited. Oh, you're bringing back a quarterback. Sam Howe, he's a lot better than Devin Leary, but Devin did a lot of great things before he got injured last year. And remember, he never went up against North Carolina when we learned what a Ram was to a Wolf. North Carolina lost a couple of receivers to the draft, Diami Brown and Daz Newsom. They lost a couple of 1,000-yard rushers with Michael Carter and Javante Williams. Meanwhile, NC State, they got Bam Knight back. They've got Ricky Person backing him up. At wide receiver, it is Emeka Amezi and Thayer Thomas. They, they've got players defensively. Chas he's gone for the Tar Heels. you got a couple edge rushers back, and that's a really big deal. And what they're recruiting, I'm not going to underscore that at all or minimize it. But NC State... They have experience there, and maybe the best linebacking core in the league, and I say that acknowledging that James Skalski is returning to Clemson. Drake Thomas, Isaiah Moore, Peyton Wilson, it's a great linebacking core. That game's going to be in Raleigh. That's pretty tough. So here's who I'm picking to win the league. If it's not North Carolina, then who? I'm picking Pittsburgh. They're going to fly under the radar. The Coastal's going to Coastal. Kenny Pickett's back. You've got your top receiver, Addison. Their top rusher's back. They figure things out defensively just as well as anybody in the league. Maybe not as well as Clemson because nobody's Clemson and nobody's Brent Venables, but they lose Patrick Jones, who's a really good player, going to be a really good pro, another end, a safety, but they have the heart of that defense and the linebacking core coming back and a pretty good older defense that I like. I'm picking Pittsburgh to win the Coastal. They match up with North Carolina. They are the last of those Five consecutive games, Florida State, Miami, Notre Dame, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh. 
and it's on a short week. You're playing at Pittsburgh on a Thursday night. If it comes down to tiebreakers between Pitt and North Carolina, it's that game that's going to decide it. I think Pitt's going to win it. So North Carolina's not going to win the Coastal in my mind. I'm going with Pittsburgh. I'm going off the board here. Let's go to Daryl in Greensboro who wants in on the Tar Heels. He did at least. Was that North Carolina fan Daryl or was that Clipper Daryl? Uh, I think they're one of the same, and it was Carolina fan Daryl this time. Okay. You know who this is? You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Now being joined by Luke DeCock, the award-winning columnist from the Raleigh News and Observer, to talk all things pucks. The Hurricanes advancing past the Nashville Predators to face the Tampa Bay Lightning Sunday at 5 o'clock. That's when Game One's going to happen at PNC Arena. But you were in Nashville last night for the game. I just got to know, Luke, how was the intermission concert that you got to see starring Creed? It was everything that you would expect it to be. And uh, I don't think it was a coincidence that the Hurricanes played their worst period of the playoffs after that. And the uh, the third the second intermission was a completely different band, and uh, they played one of their best periods of the playoffs. So I, I think Creed had a lot to do with the results <laughs> of the game last night. This time of year, you hear a lot of these playoff cliches. You hear whatever it takes, survive in advance, all of that. Now that the Canes have taken out Nashville in six, has your opinion about Carolina as a title contender changed at all? No, I think they've always been in that conversation. There's just a lot of things that can happen between here and there. Um, and the Nashville series, like, honestly, in a lot of ways, was one of those things that can happen. You know, the, the, the four overtime games, Nashville wins two of them, the Hurricanes win the last two. Those all could have gone the other way. That could have been a sweep, and that could have been a Nashville win in six. So, uh, you know, that it, it's just that's why it's so difficult to win the Stanley Cup. But I think the Hurricanes were in that conversation before the Nashville series. They're still in that conversation after the Nashville series. And I think to a certain extent, the resilience and the, the defiance that they showed, uh, especially in games five and six, probably will serve them very well down the road and underlines kind of some of the mental strength that they have that, that makes them, you know, a contender. Read Luke's work, newsobserver.com. Luke DeCock on Twitter, at Luke DeCock. Let me mine you for some information based on what you're hearing you're very plugged in with all things Carolina Hurricanes. What percentage chance would you give Tom Dundon botching the Rod Brindamore contract situation? I mean, I, I don't think he will. I mean, I think the numbers there are pretty clear to anyone who's, who knows how this, this stuff works. You know, the issue is Rod, being a, a team guy at heart, is, is fighting for his staff. He's fighting for his assistant coaches. He's fighting for the trainers. He's fighting for the equipment guys. He's fighting for his video guys. You know, everybody on that staff is up this summer. And so there's, uh, you know, an impetus on his part to kind of be the leader. I, he's under a lot of pressure from other coaches um, not to take a cut rate deal. And, and that's fine. You know, that's part of, you know, the rising tide that lifts all boats. Coaches don't want his contract to be used as a, as a comp the way it has been. Uh, and that's fine. I mean, I think he's going to get closer to the median. I would expect him to end up somewhere in that, you know, around $1.7, $1.8 million. Um, but the and, and and Dundon for his reputation for being for being cheaper or cutting costs in certain areas, 
Dundon, I think, understands that Brindamore is going to get paid. I mean, he said that on the record to me. Uh, but I think he, he also is not posturing there. I mean, he understands that Rod Brindamore has earned this. And, uh, Tom Bullet isn't great at the art. Tom Dundon isn't great at the art of bullet biting, but he's, this is a bullet he's going to have to bite. Uh, the question is, can Brindamore leverage this into better deals uh, for his staff and his, 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 his other assistant coaches? And, you know, I think that's a, a noble goal, and I think he'll probably be able to do that you know, with, the, with the continuing success he's had. But it's, it, it is, in the, in the sharpest of terms, a no-brainer. Uh, Tom Dundon knows that Rod Brindamore is not merely a coach. He's the minister of culture in that franchise that he's almost personally responsible. And Justin Williams gets a huge assist in, in turning this team around in the sort of post-Ron Francis, Bill Peters era and taking a team that had a lot of skill and not much backbone and turning it into a Stanley Cup contender. So this is not going to fall down into a war over nickels. This will get done. There may be some brinksmanship involved, but this will get done. Let me close with the team the Canes share a building with, the NC State basketball team. Is the Manny Bates crisis over at NC State? Do you know what happened there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, you know, we're, we're in an era of college basketball where, you know, people get tempted. Yeah, I don't want to say poached, but people get tempted or, or approached with offers or, or theories that may sound lucrative or may sound appealing. But I think in the end, you know, regardless of, of what other schools or Georgetown or whoever it was, was telling Manny Bates that, that they would be better for him. I think Manny's a smart kid. He's a local kid. He understood that NC State was the right place for him. And I, I really think it is, um, regardless of what it means, his return means to the university and the basketball program, which is obviously a lot. I think, I think NC State is really good for Manny Bates. And I think he recognized that. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing for both Manny and the school. I mean, I think that's a much better team with him, obviously. And I think he's going to be the centerpiece of that team next year. Um, you know, obviously, Jericho Hollins is, is going to be the scorer, but I think Manny is going to be the, the fulcrum of that team, and I think it's, it's going to be good for him and, and good for NC State. I take it you are in Charlotte. I take it you're at the ACC Baseball Championships. North Carolina gets set to play NC State tonight? Yeah, it's weird to have like a, a, a meaningless Wolfpack target <laughs> team. I mean, I know it's not meaningless <laughs> to the players, but you know, obviously it matters matters have been settled but uh i'm sure they'll find a way to take it into 15 innings anyway <laughs> just like the last four games we've seen in the stanley cup playoffs i would expect nothing else luke i know you're a busy guy thanks so much for squeezing in the time for us you, you got it josh there he goes luke DeCock joining us from charlotte acc baseball championships the team with the number one seed or the best record in the regular season in the acc this year was Notre Dame, Robert. They played Virginia earlier. This game just wrapped up. 14-1 to Virginia over Notre Dame. Florida State versus Miami right now. North Carolina, NC State, a 7 o'clock first pitch. The ACC Baseball Championship. It's heating up. Then you got regionals. I think college baseball probably matters most in the state of North Carolina where you and I went to school. Boy, do they love some college baseball in Greenville, America. The Pirates, they're going to be good again. You look at that team, shoot. I think I have it right. In fact, I know I have it right. I just don't know what the specific number of regionals are. 
but East Carolina leads the nation in regional appearances without a trip to Omaha. So that's that's bucket list stuff. If East Carolina ever were to go to Omaha, I'll go out that way. McGee and others have told me that Omaha's as great as it sounds, and it's one of the greatest sporting events to attend each year. So one of these days, I'll make my way to Omaha, trying to figure out what teams around here are going to be legit contenders. Elliot Avent had glowing words to speak about his NC State team this year, saying this might be the most talented team he's had, which is saying a lot because he took a team to Omaha in the last decade that had Carlos Rodon on it, who threw a no-hitter this year, and had Trey Turner, who's a World Series champion. So those are not insignificant words from longtime state head coach Elliot Elliot Avent. You're on the drive with Josh Graham. Buckle up, because the ride just gets wilder. And now on WSJS Sports. Before we get to keep it simple, some more info about the team the Carolina Hurricanes are going to be facing on Sunday afternoon. It's the Tampa Bay Lightning. Of course, they won the title last year. They're the defending Stanley Cup champs. They have an announcer who has a very annoying style of broadcasting. And apparently, they have stupid arena policy as well. The name of the arena is Emali Arena, the home of the Lightning. And... Before these playoffs began, and even during this playoff series, the first round against the Florida Panthers, they had this policy at lightning games. I did not know about this. I learned about this this week. That there are seats at the arena, premium seating. There's premium seating at this arena that you are not allowed to wear jerseys for the opposing team. You're not allowed to wear gear supporting other NHL teams. So even if it's not, say you're a Carolina Hurricanes fan and you're like, man, I love hockey so much, I want to scout. I want to watch the team I think we're going to play in the second round, Tampa Bay or the Florida Panthers. And I'm going to go to uh, going to go to a Tampa-Florida playoff game and I'm going to sit here in Tampa at the best seat I can find. I'm going to sit in this premium section I'm going to wear my Carolina Hurricanes jersey because that's the team I root for. Well, then you would be confronted by security like this Florida Panthers fan was in their first round sitting in seats. It was a dad and his 11-year-old son confronted by two employees. And this is a piece of how the conversation sounded, how that conversation sounded. Everyone that purchased off Ticketmaster, they got an email, and that's our building policy with playoffs. So it's our building policy as well. So, okay. So, Sorry, you can, so either you can buy by our rules and check in your, your jersey, or you'll have to get a refund if you don't want to stay at the game because you're not going to be able to wear that jersey here or in the Chase Club. Okay, like I said, I that's that's just terrible. You can't wear a specific hockey jersey to given sections of the Tampa Bay Lightning's arena. Who the bleep are the Tampa Bay Lightning? Having this, do you have this large of a fan base, Tampa Bay, for any of your sports? 
to dictate what jerseys people wear at your games? Brutal. Later on, one of the employees said, quote, if we come back down here, we're getting Tampa police because this is our building policy. Going further, they said <laughs> that under the policy, if you're wearing a jersey we don't like, you can either check in that gear, like that employee was talking about, at this at the top of the section, at the door, and wear a non-logo shirt that they give you. They'll provide you a non-logo shirt. Or you could continue wearing a jersey that you have on at a relocated seat from the club areas, and you'd be issued a refund for the tickets. Robert, how do you feel about this? I mean, it's it's a dumb rule, but it's their rule. I mean, they've already said it. I guess they sent him something about it. I mean, if you didn't like it, don't get a nice seat, I guess. Well, you, I understand. If you're a Florida Panther fan, you're probably not going to many Tampa Bay Lightning games. You, you just want to go watch your team play. And I'll be honest with you. I, I'd have no idea what the policy for visiting teams, seating requirements, and uh, expectations are. Like, it's just understood in sports, I think, for most places, that if you buy a ticket, I can wear whatever jersey I want. The idea that you can't somewhere... Is ludicrous. So thank goodness we have a headline and an update today from Greg Wazinski of ESPN saying that the Lightning are no longer going to enforce this stupid policy and disallow the Carolina Hurricanes fans, let's say, for the next series, this series coming up, from wearing jerseys wherever the bleep they want. Because of course. All right, let's keep it simple. Five words or less. It's simple, man. That's all Josh gets to tell you where your favorite teams are at. It's as marvelous and as simple as that. Let's keep it simple. All right. Robert's just going to pitch things at me. I have no idea what he's going to come up with here, and we'll see where we end up. All right, let's start with the Panthers draft content from earlier in the week. Ooh, Panthers Confidential. Did you watch a lot of that video? No, I watched maybe five minutes of it. A lot of good stuff from it. Five words or less. I'd say it's top shelf content for Panthers. Let me let me explain what I mean here. The, the disclaimer is important at the end because it is team-run content. You've got to understand where it's coming from. And <laughs> the Teddy Bridgewater portion of things where they're talking about how much they love Teddy as they're trading it off, trading him off, it makes me skeptical about the authenticity of everything. But there are a lot of really good stuff from the draft room that made it, I think, top-shelf content for Panthers. Right? It's, you still got to include the detail of who's creating the content, just like the conversation we had about the Last Dance documentary a year ago where Michael Jordan was an executive producer. I'm not saying that makes it bad, and it's, I'm not saying it wasn't entertaining, but it is important to note where things come from. 
Uh, let's go to Cowboy Joe West's uh, music career. Cowboy Joe West's music career, specifically. I'd say he is North Carolina's most notorious baseballer. Even though he played football at East Carolina and at Elon, North Carolina's most notorious baseballer, he's going to be remembered for his baseball career umpiring more games than anybody else in history. That's a record that's never going to be broken. And the notorious piece, what you're hinting at there, comes with the fact that he's also a musician as well with a bunch of punny songs that work in umpiring phrases, which I appreciate a ton. I don't know if that's all about his music career, but I'll accept it. Uh, (laughs) Next one, how about the Lakers going up 2-1? Feel really badly for Chris Paul. Is that six? Feel badly for Chris Paul. That's five. I'll talk more about Chris specifically in about five minutes or so, but I feel awful for him. It's a terrible draw for Phoenix. It's as bad luck as you can get, and... This doesn't feel like it's going to be a long series anymore because Paul is not even 75%. Uh, the Canes after beating the Predators. Ooh. So how the Canes are feeling right now? Or the Canes looking forward? I feel like you're going to say whatever five words you want to I, do no matter well, what I'm I trying say. To, I'm trying to figure out what the five words are, so maybe you can help me out here a bit. The, sure, the feeling. That's what that works. How the canes are feeling. Less impressive than they should. They were rolling in on a high. You just won the Central Division, even though you lost to Nashville the last two games. Carolina was expecting this to be a lot easier than it was. A six-game series with the last four going to overtime and you're only really dominant in one of the games. Less impressive than they were. That's Carolina right now. I'm not saying they lack confidence. Road wins can really build that. This Tampa series is going to be a complete toss-up and I'm looking forward to watching it. And going back to our conversation with Adam Gold yesterday, how about finishing up with Dum Dums? Dum Dums. Mmm. Blue Raspberry is the best. You and I are in agreement on that, right? For sure, yeah. Definitely the best. You still owe me a Blue Raspberry, too, by the way. AG could have brought you one from PNC Arena inside the booth they had. Nobody wanted the blue raspberries. Everybody wanted the root beer and the cherry flavored dum-dum. Nobody wanted the blue raspberry. It's kind of stunning. Just like when people say, you know what type of Gatorade I don't like? The blue flavor. Stop. The blue fa- flavor is the best flavor of Gatorade. 
It really depends, though. Like I know the blue you're talking about, but there are about 50 different blues. I'm talking about the one that has Glacier in the name. What's that one? Blue Glacier. Blue Glacier. That's the best flavor. The yellow... See, there's different yellows, too. Are you talking about like the neon yellow, or are you talking about... The original yellow Gatorade. That's what I'm talking about. I think Somebody tried to tell delicious. me that the purple flavor was the best. And uh, light purple's really good. I did not like the purple. Uh, the one Orange I, is underrated. The, I really like orange. The Gatorade. worst flavor, in my opinion, is the white. Because oh, that's terrible. You're you, right. you look at it it's and you're awful. like, oh, this looks like it would be delicious. It's not. And it's terrible. It tastes like the liquid that comes after your washer drains. Cherry's brutal, too. I just generally stay away from red things. It makes your mouth all red, and nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. You and I, our, our taste on things that are sweet, pretty similar. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Give it to me straight, Chief. Here we go. Isn't anyone going to say what we all better be thinking? On WSJS Sports. I've been on a 90s tick all day today. Thinking about Seinfeld versus Friends since Friends had the reunion show. Robert is stirring up people by calling Friends a B-minus show. I do prefer How I Met Your Mother to Friends, but I understand that it's a little bit more my generation, How I Met Your Mother versus Friends. I watched it after it released live on air, so I wasn't really, I think, the designated audience when it aired. Seinfeld, I think, is more timeless. If you want to have that debate, I don't think it's much of a debate. So we got a number of things to do. We've got comparing with Darren the Dew. So we welcome in Darren Vaught, who's at the ACC Baseball Championships in Charlotte. Before we get to the baseball, I guess this might be an appetizer of comparing, but uh, Seinfeld and Friends, how do they compare? Uh, I mean, I could just talk about them. I don't know. Compare Friends is, is accessible. I think that's why it's as popular as it is. I like Robbie's B minus assessment, though. Like, I think that's fair. I agree with it. Like, what? And what are you giving Seinfeld? Like a B plus? No, Seinfeld's an A. Like an A minus. I mean, I don't think it's the creme de la creme. What is the creme de la creme? I'm interested what you think it is. This is your opinion. I mean, I think you hit on it. How I Met Your Mother, Scrubs. I think How I I Met Your Mother over. Seinfeld. I don't even know if I would do that. I mean, I I think the 2000s eras of sitcoms, that's the golden age. Really? Like not all in the family and all that. I mean, no. I think that those paved the way for it, but they created like almost like a scientific way to have a perfect sitcom. Sanford and Son. I'm surprised. I thought that's where you were headed. I I mean, no. Those those that have their roles, but those were for jokes. Like Sanford and Son, stuff like that. That was like set... Set Lamar up so he can hit his punchlines, and then we go to the next thing. Like, it was all just for punchlines. Or, like, uh, Family Matters. That was just, like, to tell you, teach lessons. Like, oh, you get off school. Yeah, Full House, Seventh Heaven. was the white version of that. Yeah, we... we, (laughs) Those are just to teach you lessons, like Aesop's Fables, like modern-day fables. Are you accusing Step by Step of racial appropriation here? No. 
No, I just said it. It was the it's the white it was the white equivalent to Family Matters. Gotcha. That makes that makes sense. And it's very well put. Show. Yeah, Darren Vaught is on Twitter <laughs> at Darren Vaught. Listen to the USA Baseball podcast uh, covering the bases. You can check that out. And Darren has a lot of other stuff going on. Before we get to the comparisons that Robert has for Darren, I felt really bad today because you let me know of an ACC tie with this embarrassing play for this Pittsburgh Pirates first baseman yesterday that we talked about on the show because I saw it right before we went on air. It was an afternoon game, and all this first baseman had to do was step on the first base back or just follow through and tag out Javi Baez at the plate because it doesn't matter what the runner does and score if Baez doesn't get the first. It was an embarrassing play if you haven't seen it by now. Shame on you. You can probably find it somewhere on the internet. Tell me why I should be embarrassed about ripping this Pittsburgh Pirates first baseman. Give me the local tie here. Well, the Pittsburgh Pirates first baseman is a guy named Will Craig, who not that long ago, Josh, was the ACC Player of the Year for the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. He's yeah. one of the best players in program history. Yeah, that's, that's not great. That's not great. He has to be fair. He hasn't been great as a pro. So even even as someone who hosts in Winston Salem, he's kind of easily overlooked as a pirate and uh, a struggling prospect in his first few years. He's he's had kind of a rough way to go. But he's I'm super familiar with him because I I remember him during his time actually at Science Hill High School in Johnson City, Tennessee, which is a little bit closer to home for me. So I've got sort of the double tie there. Um, I think today, a couple of surprises at the ACC Baseball Championship in Charlotte. You have Notre Dame, the number one seed, the team that is seventh ranked in the country, depending on what poll you look at. And they get roundhouse kicked by the Cavaliers of Virginia, 14-1 to that score. And tonight, you have North Carolina facing NC State. And the game practically means nothing. When's the last time that's been the case for NC State, North Carolina at the ACC baseball tournament? Uh, it's been a long time. I, I will say North Carolina is, they're not technically by projections, most projections considered to be like a bubble team for NCAA tournament play. Um, but they're not far off of the bubble. So they could do themselves a small favor with a win tonight uh, once we get through this rain as we're delayed right now in Charlotte. But, like, they could do themselves a little bit of good with a win, but essentially it means nothing because the semifinal matchups for tomorrow are both set. You mentioned the big surprise with Virginia over the top seed Notre Dame. Duke has been I, – I, I don't know if surprise is the right term because they have just been a locomotive for the past three weeks or so. They, I mean, they were dead to rights, Josh, not – going to be in the NCAA tournament they at one point about a month ago were in danger of even making this tournament to compete for their own conferences title and they just keep delivering man it's just it's it's another example of that's a team that was not formidable ever not that long ago but their head coach Chris Pollard comes over from App State and for six or seven years now they've just established themselves as a really really good program so uh, it's those two on one side Duke and UVA and then, I mean, two of the hottest teams in the conference for the past two months, 
probably Georgia Tech and then NC State, the Wolfpack. Uh, there's a two and three seed. So Notre Dame not there is the one, but the two and threes both uh, in the semifinals. And for my money, those are the two best lineups in the conference. So we might have a lot of fireworks if any of the other games have been in any indication. NC State's longtime head coach, Elliot Ava, has had some comments that have raised eyebrows seeing what he said about his team and what he likes about it. He, he Glowing praise for the team that he has here. And it doesn't sound like Coach Beat because if you've gotten to know Elliot Ava in any type of way, that's not really what he's about. So I'll put it to you. I, me and Robert, we're East Carolina graduates, ECU, great baseball program. They might even be a national seed. I'm a little concerned about pitching there, but don't really want to get too much caught into the weeds of breaking down the actual rosters at this point. When you look at teams that have the talent to make a run, maybe not to get to Omaha, but to get to a Super Regional, and who knows what can happen at that point. How many teams are you willing to say that about here in the state of North Carolina? Uh, I think there there have been flaws with Duke that were the reasons for their, their earlier struggles. Now, they, they, of course, are on fire, which helps, right? you got to be playing the right kind of quality at the right time. So, I mean, I don't know. Duke certainly is capable of a super regional. Um, as they have been the past few years. I think NC State, especially with their lineup, when everybody's hitting, it's it's maybe the best lineup top to bottom in college baseball. So that certainly is the case. Uh, ECU's good, man. They've been really good. I get your concerns with their pitching, but they've got some arms. They've got some guys that can throw. And compared to NC State especially, they've got a little bit more depth in that regard. Um in North Carolina, man, if they get in, they're they're capable. That's, I mean, yeah. a super regional probably. I don't I don't see it with North Carolina, not this year, but ECU and NC State. I agree with you on that. I I love those teams, and I think they could they can make some noise. But it's good to bring up Duke when it comes to some of the success they've had in the NCAA's of late. Here's a question I have for you as a play by play announcer yourself: Are you familiar with Dave Michigan's work? Dave, what was the last name again? Michigan. Michigan. No, I don't believe that. Oh, so. I'm glad. He is the voice, the radio voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, who Carolina is going to be going up against. Game one is on Sunday. Robert, give Darren a taste of some of Dave Michigan's work. Robin clears it. He clears it. It's in the Detroit zone. No icing. Five, four, three. Two, one, series over, the Lightning win it. Oh, and you might be thinking, oh, Josh, come on. That's like a big-time playoff series moment. He's just, you know, he's getting emotional. Don't be a jerk face here. He's really excited about his team. No, no, no. Go Google this guy. Look him up on YouTube. He's the most obnoxious play-by-play guy there is out there. And uh, he does this for every single game. It doesn't matter if it's just a regular season game. This was a month ago when Tampa Bay beat Carolina a month ago in the regular season when both these teams had nothing to play for at this point, and Dave Michigan called a winner. Score tied at two. The puck is going to be played at center ice by Kalorn for McDonough. Back for Kalorn as Gord open in front. The oh, pass what block. a great Big play. play. Pesci. The puck stays in the Carolina defensive zone. Gord wins it. He's in alone. Shoot, save made. Rebound, Gord. Score! Yanni Gord! Yanni Gord! The Lightning win it! 3-2 in overtime!
Darren Vaught, your thoughts as a professional play-by-player? Uh, well, I mean, when when you gave the the month ago bit there, it sounded. I mean, it was a little bit more calm and reserved and, until the big moment. Um, every goal, yeah, some, every goalie there, does this. Now there are some voice control issues that I would I would uh, voice or express some concern about. But um, look, man, I I can't. You know, there are a number of ways to do this and and do it well. Sure, why not? Not my cup of tea, but okay. <laughs> I should have exchanged the five things at five countdown with this. Five. <laughs> Just because I hit, I don't. This guy really ticks Josh off every year. I heard about this last year, <laughs> but now the Canes are going up against this dude's team. Four. Oh, are we gonna do this now? Three. <laughs> two. <laughs> Does he do one? one? I forgot if you yeah, did please one. spice up one of those awful segments <laughs> Robert please do it for let's me let's do one of these awful segments it's time for comparing <laughs> with Darren I mean it's no keep it simple but it's something <laughs> uh, I got two for you guys this week uh, not very fancy not my best work but it's Friday we're moving on uh, what do actresses in Spanish television shows have in common with pro soccer players? I don't know if you guys have ever watched any. Oh, uh, I have. I have a Telemundo. pretty good idea. Like, are we talking about soap operas? Is that specifically what you're talking uh, about? Yeah, sure. Like soaps? Novelias, sure. I'm Stories. thinking about. Like really emotional and dramatic, falling to the floor all the time, making millions for fa- uh, making themselves fall to the ground. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Aye. And I, I tried. Kayona is. Hold on, I gotta hit a thing for that. <laughs> Appreciate it, kids. Um. All right. So I was going to compare LeBron James to cicadas, and that might help you out a little bit. But instead, I'm going to compare LeBron James to me on Saturdays. Uh, getting busy. (laughs) Cicadas have a short window, man. Not getting busy. Making a lot of noise. All right. The ant for this one, laying <laughs> in the same space on the ground for hours. Oh. But I, I was going for. I didn't. I couldn't make this one work. Uh, spending more time on the ground than they do standing up. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't make that work. So I was. I was just going to give myself, throw myself under the. Bus. I haven't been as bothered by the cicadas as a lot of people are. They're not really in Winston. Like they yeah. haven't been in and around Winston. You're more prone to hear the tree frog population. Darren, yeah, have you seen, seen many of the cicadas? I haven't seen many in Raleigh either, to be honest. With Wilkesboro, you. that's been a concern. That's the that's the cutting line. I haven't heard anybody, at least that I know, that would talk to me about cicadas <laughs> west of where east of Wilkesboro. I'm, sympa- like, I'm sympathetic to the cicada, man. I'm sympathetic because short lifespan. You've been in the ground for decades like 10 15 20 years and all you're trying to do is get after it don't feel bad for the cicadas that are out here feel bad for the cicadas that had concrete poured over them because yeah. <laughs> they ain't making it out that's a tough break the cicadas that never got the chance the, the cicadas that didn't get to sing their song josh 
right? Do you guys want to talk more about sitcoms before Darren goes? Are we done? Do you have Do you have anything you want to ask Darren on the way out in regards to sitcoms? Do you have things written here? If you had to pick an era of sitcom, and I'm going to call these two eras. Uh, mostly because I don't have another way to to call them. We'll call one the flat set era, like your Roseanne's, your Andy Griffiths, things like that, where nothing really changes and the background is always the same. Or would you rather stick with like the community, the uh, the Modern Family, that kind of stuff? Would you rather stick with those sitcoms or the flat set era? Wow, I usually think about it in decades. See, you're viewing it like in a completely different way I would. Um, yeah, well, there's sort of like a, a Robert, it's not the exact same thing, but I, I would consider what you're talking about, like the older generation is, is what I would sort of associate with the laugh track era. Uh, like you don't hear laugh, laugh tracks track. on shows anymore. So post-office. shows that would, would use that. Because you still um, have that on How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, it's really post-office, like the office revolutionized it so shows that started after the office have not really had the laugh track. and it's not really like yeah, a lo- well it's because it's the it's the uh the mockumentary style even modern family you know they'll have talking the to the cameras seated on the couch there talking to the audience and it's i mean it serves it's the same vehicle right it's the same it's an interview with the character that sort of thing how did you uh, pronounce the, the car how do you pronounce the the thing that's a synonym with car the vehicle? I say it the same way. Vehicle? Yeah, that's how you yeah, know you're vehicle. in the South. Oh. The difference between a vehicle and a vehicle. Gotcha, understood. Uh, give me a decade. Give me I'm an era, Darren. Aaron, that's, give me a... Aaron, give me... Not Aaron! Aaron. Darren, hey, Aaron! Give me an era, Darren. <laughs> I, I think we're in a, a nice... Like, we recently have hit a nice era for sitcom. Correct. Um, Like, I... I, I worship the ground Michael Schur walks on practically, and uh, he played Moe's in the office and was sort of like the conceptual brains behind both The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I think are the both good really, place. really good shows. Uh, Sam and see, The Good the Place, good I think conceptually The Good Place might be the most brilliant thing that has ever been on network television. It is insanely smart. Like, even yeah. I'll, I'll, by... I'll be watching it, and I feel like I'm okay at like picking up things. And I'll be like, "Yeah, I, I have no clue what they're talking about." Like, Cheaty will go over your head in a heartbeat. Darren, appreciate you spending the time, buddy. Of course, guys. I'll see you. There he goes. See, if I'm thinking decades, see, I don't think it's the last ten years, but I don't watch really much television, new television from the last ten years. So for me, I feel the same way about music in a sense. The 70s sitcoms, like if you're watching TV Land nowadays, um, and the the 2000s shows, I think that, along with the music from those eras, are the decades that I like the most. Could it be because that's what you watch and listen to? Well, I, I listened to my fair share and watched my fair share of stuff that came out in the 80s. Just not a big fan of that decade. The 90s, certainly. But I think I preferred the 2000s, and I preferred the 70s. The 70s and the 2000s more than the 2010s or the 90s, and certainly the 80s. I There are a lot of things that happened in the 80s that I just don't understand, don't get, and don't really connect with.